Well, hey friends, it is great to have you join us yet again today. My name is Clay Monkus. Uh, if we've never met, I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level. And uh, really great that you've to chosen to join us today because today we're in the sixth part of a series called Starting Point. And we only have a couple of messages left in this series, uh, so we're starting really to land the plane now. And if you've missed any part of the series, you can catch up by going to our website at nextlevelchurch.org, and there you'll be able to see all of the messages in this series. But to catch you up, the premise for this entire series is simply this. Everything in life has a starting point, including your faith journey. Faith has a starting point. For most of us, it probably started when we were kids, but as we became adults, our faith that we built as a child, it just didn't seem to kind of work with real-world, adult-sized problems. And all of us, I get it, we're, we're all in different places in faith. Uh, some have a really strong faith with a really firm foundation. Others have faith, but if we're honest, uh, there's a lot of holes in our faith, and those holes can cause us some problems, especially in the difficult times. Uh, others are not sure about faith in Jesus, but we're curious. And others still are certain that there's no God, but we attend church like this because we were invited, and we're trying to be polite to the person who invited us, or we're trying to impress some girl or some guy that we want to date. Whatever the reason, the, the, the question that has been driving this whole series, the thing that we've been trying to address, is what if we just started over with faith? And again, I know we're in all different places, but what if we could just start over and rebuild faith from scratch as an adult? And what would that look like? And we've looked at a lot of different questions. We've looked at a lot of different topics so far. And again, you can catch up on all of those by going to our website, nextlevelchurch.org. Today, I want to look at something that all of us have done at one time or another. But before I go there, um, let me ask you, have you ever had to bargain with someone over something? Like, have you ever gone to a market, be it overseas or here in the States or whatever, and had to haggle with someone over the price of an object? Or have you ever sold something on the Facebook marketplace? Now, I, <laughs> I've sold several things on Facebook, and, and I think the thing that I absolutely hate the most is this whole process of bargaining that goes back and forth. Like, you list something for $50, and you paid like 200 bucks for it, you know, just a year ago, and you list it for 50 bucks. There's always someone who's going to come along and try to convince you that your thing is not worth anything, and they offer you a dollar for it. And so you got to like haggle back and forth to get a fair price. And I, I hate it. I, like to me, that process is awful. Now, I know some people, they love that process. You know, I, how many of you would admit, I love the bargaining process, right? I love the back and forth. I, I know that there's quite a few of you that love that process. But here's the thing. No matter how you feel about the negotiating process, you may hate it or you may love it. We have all tried that same process with God. No matter what church you grew up in, no matter what religion you grew up under, we have all done this. We've all had a conversation with God that said something like this. God, if you will, and you fill in the blank, if you will do this, I will always this. God, if you will do this, I will never do this again. You know, like you were 16, 17 years old, and you're driving home, and you've done something you knew you shouldn't have done, and, and now there's going to be consequences. So while you're driving home, you, you kind of let out this prayer, God, if you will just let me get out of this, I promise I'll go to youth group every Wednesday night, right? Or, or you got caught doing something at work, and you were absolutely certain that you're going to be fired. And so you're like, God... If you will just let me keep my job, I'll never do anything like that 
Again, whatever it was, if God, you do this for me, then I will do, right? I'll, I'll start giving to church, I'll attend a church, I'll go every week, I'll join a small group, whatever it was. We've all been there and we've all had that conversation with God. And here's the interesting thing. I have quite a few friends that are atheists and some that were formerly atheists. And I know that they have had that same similar conversation, although they kind of direct it like an email uh, that you're not sure who it's going to reach, kind of that whole to whom it may concern. So my atheist friends is like, well, to whoever is out there or God, if you are real, I really need you to do this one thing for me, and usually it's because um, someone close to them is terminally ill or they're facing something that just seems impossible, so the bargaining begins. God, if you'll just show me a sign, if you'll do this thing, then I will. And again, no matter what your faith background, no matter what religion you grew up under, no, more, no matter what your lack of faith background, we have all done this bargaining process with God. And this has gone on throughout history. Ancient armies would sacrifice animals and make vows in return for God showing up and ensuring victory. Entire communities would sacrifice animals and sometimes sacrifice humans just to get the favor of their God to produce rich crops or end a drought or repel an army. So this has been going on throughout human history. So it's no surprise that we've all done this in our own way with our very own circumstances. And there is also something else that, that shouldn't be a surprise to you when it comes to this. We never keep our end of the deal, right? <laughs> we don't. We, we just don't keep our end of the deal. Because remember that bargain that you had with God? Let, let's say after the negotiation, you know, everything worked out in your favor. Like your boss didn't notice what you had done. Or when you got home, your parents were still asleep and you slipped in unnoticed. Or the pregnancy test came back negative. Or that person's health turned out for the better, whatever it was. Everything worked out. So things went in your favor. And what did you do? You went right back to whatever it was that you were doing before. Like nothing changed. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain, right? Now, behind all of this bargaining and negotiation are really kind of two big assumptions. The first assumption is this. You assume that God knows you exist. Now, this is a really big deal, right? Because if you have ever negotiated with God, you have way more faith than you think you do. Because think about this. In order for you to negotiate with God, you have to believe that God knows you exist. You have to think God knows your name, that God knows your circumstances, and you have to think that God actually cares about you, right? That's a lot of faith. But the second assumption is this. You have something that God wants. Right, you assume that God wants something, and this is a big one. So we're, we're basically going to spend the rest of our time talking about this assumption right here. Because think about it. Anytime you're in a negotiation over something, you have something that the other person wants. It could be that you're the buyer, and so the other person wants your money. Or you could be the person who is selling, and the other person wants the object that you are selling. So when we negotiate with God, what we want is some favor or some miracle. But we think that God wants something from us in exchange for the favor of the miracle. So we think that God wants our church attendance or our obedience or our Bible reading or our, you just fill in the blank. We think that he wants that so much that he's willing to make a deal with us. But, but, but here's the truth. 
And, and this is some really good news here. And this is what Jesus came to show us. If you, and you really need to know this as you start considering following Jesus, because this is the thing that separates Christianity from every other faith system in the world. And the good news is this. God doesn't want something from you. He doesn't want something from you. In fact, he wants something for you. God doesn't negotiate because he doesn't want something from you. He doesn't need it. God wants something for you. And that is a really, really, really big difference. And that's the reason that you can't negotiate. The the reason that there's no point in bargaining with God because you don't have anything God needs or wants. So Jesus came to tell us and to show us that God actually just wants something for you. So the Christian faith is not based on some sort of contract or negotiation model. It's based on something I call the gift model. What Jesus did for us by dying on the cross is overwhelming evidence that God is for us, that there's no need to bargain. And this is good news for us because our obedience is not a bargaining chip with God. Our obedience isn't a way to get something from God. Our obedience is simply a response to having already received something. So we forgive because we've been forgiven. We love because we have been loved. We serve because we've been served. We are generous and give because God was generous and gave to us. And anything that you offer to God pales in comparison to what you've already been given. And the word that kind of sums all of this up for us, kind of a churchy word. We use it outside of church too, though, and it's this word grace. Grace is simply favor or blessing that is neither earned nor deserved. And we've all experienced something like this outside of a religious context. We probably all had someone do something for us, not because of anything that we deserved, right? Uh, Maybe it's when you were starting out in life and someone came along and they gave you some furniture or they gave you an appliance or they gave you a car. Or, Or maybe perhaps you were at a store and when the cashier rung up your order, you were a couple of dollars short. And the person behind you who doesn't even know you gave the cashier the money that you needed. You didn't deserve any of that. You didn't do anything to earn it. Yet someone did it for you anyway. That is called grace. And in many ways, grace is getting exactly what you don't deserve. And and this word differs from the word that sometimes gets confused with grace, which is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. right? So you do something wrong at work and you deserve to be fired. But your boss decides to give you a second chance. That is mercy. Grace is completely different. Grace is getting something, in a positive sense, that is neither earned nor deserved. And it's this idea, grace, that's at the epicenter of Christianity. And Paul talks about this in a letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. And in chapter 2, he starts off kind of negative, so hang with me, as he does get to a really good place. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many Sins And by dead, what he means here is you were separated from God. He's using this analogy. He's saying, hey, in terms of your relationship with God, you didn't have one. It's like you were dead to God, and God was dead to you. And the next couple of verses are him describing some details of how far we were from God. Then in verse 4, he transitions with two words. 
that in the original language, they were very important. You can kind of think of them as a way of italicizing them or putting them in bold, maybe even doing both. So they're bold and italic. In other words, these two little words are very important to understanding what I'm about to say. So he goes on, and in verse 4 he says, but God. So he's saying that you and I had a problem, but God. Now, let's think typically uh, how we typically approach a mess or a problem that we've created. We will say something like, hey, I know I messed up, but next time I will do better. God, I know I haven't spent much time with you, but moving forward, I'm going to do better. So what Paul is doing here is introducing us to a new way of thinking. When you realize that you have disobeyed God, when you realize that you are far from God, it's not a but I, it's a but God. It's not, God, I know I shouldn't have, but I promise. Paul says, no, 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 no. It is but God. God, I shouldn't have, but God. Right? Ephesians 2, 4, keep going. But God is so rich in mercy. Paul's telling us that God has so much mercy, he has extra mercy. And then he moves to a phrase that I want to drill down into you. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to drive this deep in your soul. If you're someone coming back to God, I want this to go deep in you. If you're someone considering Jesus, I want this to be a deep part of your consideration. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. The reason this is an important phrase it's because it answers the question, God, do you even care? And if you do care about me, why would you listen to my prayers? Why would you give me a second chance? And the answer has to do with, doesn't have to do with anything that you have done, that I have done, or not done. The answer has everything to do with his great love with which he loved us. And if you're considering Christianity, this is central to following Jesus. And, and, and this is tough because I talk to Christians all the time. And they know this in their head, but they still struggle with this idea in their heart. Why? Because that's not how we experience life. Love seems to be largely conditional. And, and that is the way most of us have been taught about God. Maybe not in words, but many times our actions and reactions are showing people that we think his love is conditional. If I do the right things... God will love me. But if I mess up, well, he doesn't love me anymore. And he's going to be out to get me and punish me. And what Paul is saying here is, no, no, it's not based on what we do or what we don't do. Our relationship is based on how rich his mercy is and how much he loves us. That's why you don't have to negotiate or bargain with God. Because he doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. So, continue, Ephesians verse 5, he says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And he goes on to talk about our salvation over the next couple of verses. And then it's almost like Paul, he knew that he had said a lot. So he summarizes it all with this verse in verse 8, Ephesians 2, 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can substitute that word belief. You could substitute trust or faith, you know, however you want to put it in there. 
And in doing this, he takes us all the way back to what we discovered when we talked about Abraham. All the way back when we discovered what happened when he led the Israelites out of Egypt. This thread that runs through all of those events is this idea of trust. And now Paul's saying that same trust, that same belief, that same faith is all we need. That when you trust that God actually loves you, when you trust that Christ died for you, that God gave his son for you, that's all that is needed for you to sync up with God, to move from death to life. And all of this grace becomes a reality for you. God saved you by his grace. And then he makes the statement to further clarify for those of us who want to keep working towards God's approval. we got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And for all of us that have carried this message of sin management, it's about not doing these things and getting rid of these things, like a weight on our back. He says this for us in verse 8. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And just in case we still don't get it, The next sentence, he says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Now, with all of that text and all of that explanation as background, I want to ask you this question. When you think about yourself, what standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? Is it your behavior or is it God's grace? Let's talk about this first one for a minute here. If you base your standing with God on your behavior, then you are going to be stuck in an endless loop of negotiating, earning, and performing for a God that you're hoping to please. And an even bigger problem with this is you will never know where you really stand with God because nowhere has God given humankind a full set of guidelines on what it is required to follow in order to earn his approval. And I know some of you will say, well, we have the Ten Commandments. I, okay, but remember, we talked about this. Those commandments were not given to a people in order to get right with God. They were given to a group of people because they were already right with God. And if you need a refresher on that, again, go to our website, rewatch part four of this message series. So, okay, well, it's not the Ten Commandments, uh, but come on. The, the standard has got to be the Sermon on the Mount, which if you say that, what I would say, have you ever read the entire Sermon on the Mount? Jesus in that sermon sets the bar so high that no one can live up to that standard. Plus, the point of the sermon is not that you do these things and then if you do them consistently enough, God will be okay with you. Now, probably most of us in the room, most of the people watching this right now, will say it's not based on behavior. But if we're completely honest... It's not completely based on grace either because the way we live our lives is it's a blend of, of, of grace and behavior. We think, well, I've got to do my part. I've got to be faithful, responsible, pay my taxes, vote, don't hurt the environment, be kind to people, don't murder anybody. And then there's going to be some gaps, and God just kind of fills in the gaps. And if that's you, where'd you get that idea? Unfortunately, you probably got it from church and observing church people. But the guy who wrote half the New Testament said this. Let's just go back and read that verse again. I know it's hard to understand. Verse 8 and 9. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. It's a gift. So what's a gift? A gift is something given willingly to someone without expectation of payment. 
So Paul believed salvation is a gift. He believed that Peter, James, and John, they believed it was a gift. He believed that salvation or right standing with God was something given willingly by Jesus in his death on the cross without expectation of payment or repayment on our part at all. And this next statement is really important. So if you've dozed off, I need you to look up here. Pay attention to me. Salvation is a free gift. So any behavior change comes as a result of, not in order to receive the gift. We don't determine our standing with God based on our behavior. Therefore, we don't clean ourselves up in order to win God's approval. Rather, we love everyone around us because we have received love from God. Do you know why we should be kind to each other? Because God has been kind to us, not to win his approval. Do you know why we submit and surrender to one another and put other people first? Not to win the approval of God, but because at the cross, God put us first. All the to-dos in the Christian faith are a response to the gift we have been given. In the Christian faith, we've been called upon to live a life, not in order to gain God's acceptance, but because we've been given a gift, not in order to gain right standing with God, but because we have been given right standing with God. Now, with all of that, you've got a choice to make. What standard are you going to use to determine where you stand with God? Is it based on what you do and your behavior, or is it based on what God has already done for you, a gift? And let me just say, when you embrace the grace of God, you'll find peace. Because when you embrace the grace of God, you no longer have to wonder where you stand with God. And trust me, the only real option here is to accept, once and for all, God's amazing grace. How about we pray together? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your free gift of salvation. I thank you that my standing with you is not based on my behavior, but rather on your amazing grace. And maybe you're listening to this or watching this today and you're thinking, well, today's the day. I need to stop trying to bargain with God, negotiate with God. And if that's you, I just want you to say something like this. God, I realize my standing with you has nothing to do with how I behave. Now I'm going to stop bargaining with you. I'm going to stop making empty promises with you. And I'm just going to trust that your grace and mercy saves me. And I realize for some of you, uh, just making that statement is hard because it seems almost too good to be true. But I want you to know it's true because that's how much God loves you. God does not want or need anything from you. He wants something for you. So thank you, Jesus, for coming and not just teaching us this truth, but laying down your life for this truth. I pray that the depth of this would sink deep into our souls. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Uh, not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing and liking this content, subscribing to this channel, you're helping us accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, I know I ask you this every single week. Uh, would you mind heading over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org? There's a green give button in the top there. If you'll click that button and choose one of the giving options there, you can know that your faithful support, it actually helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, by way of benediction, let me uh, kind of read that last verse and let's kind of ponder and end on this note. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you 
by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. May you receive and live in the knowledge that your salvation is a true gift. It's not a reward for good behavior. It is a gift. And may you always remember that. And may you end the burdensome cycle of bargaining and negotiating with the one who loves you greatly. Hey, guys, ne next week's going to be uh, probably one of the most revealing messages uh, in this series. So why don't you invite someone to join you here at Next Level next week? Until then, have a blessed week. I'll see you guys back all in person, or I'll see you right back here. Love you.